Hello and welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we tackle dishonesty, untruths and misrepresentation in politics and the media. I'm Alexis Conran and I'll be talking about the biggest stories of the week with independent and impartial fact checkers from the Full Fact team. In the latest unlocking of COVID restrictions, pubs and restaurants can now allow customers to eat and drink inside. And international travel is back on the cards. Full Fact CEO Will Moy is neither in a pub nor on an aeroplane, and I'm sure he's not on a beach in Portugal, and he joins me this week to talk about the biggest political stories. Hi, Will. Hi, Alexis, and I'm also not to be found in a cinema or a gym, as if I ever was, or even a limited capacity sporting event. <laughs> law-abiding bunch, us fact-checkers. Yes, very law-abiding. Well, we're going to come into uh, the law-abiding part of our conversation, because we're going to talk about travel. Now, countries have been categorised into three groups, Will. We've got light systems that have come back. Uh, some have, have called it the Nando system, the traffic light system. At one end of the spectrum, there are the green list countries, uh, Portugal, uh, Gibraltar, uh, with low COVID rates and high vaccine take up. And you can travel there without quarantining on return. But at the other end, Will, we've got the red list countries, Brazil, South Africa, where high COVID rates means you must quarantine in a hotel for 10 days upon your return. But in the middle... We've got this amber list, which basically includes, well, the rest of the world, most of Europe. Now, are you allowed to go on holiday there has been the question. And there's been a lot of confusion. Just have a listen to these government ministers. People should not travel to amber or red list countries or territories. But you should not be going to an amber list country on holiday. The reason, as Matt Hancock set out, that we have the amber list is um, there will be reasons why people feel they need to travel, either to visit family uh, or indeed to, to visit friends. Not for a holiday then, to an amber list country. Well, some people might think a holiday is essential. I can think of quite a lot of people who, who do think that. But no, it's, it's about common sense. We're good at common sense. So... Uh, crystal clear, Will. What's the actual guidance on foreign holidays? Well, if you were trying to get your guidance from listening to our politicians talking to you, then you'd be really struggling to understand what the official guidance says. On the gov.uk website, it says people should not be travelling to amber countries for leisure. The government also says, separately, also on gov.uk, you should not travel to amber list countries or territories. It's fair to say that even the official guidance is hard for a law abiding person to follow. Before you start talking about what the politicians have said about the guidance, said contradicting the guidance and all the rest of it. So the starting point, you should not travel to amber lists or countries, it says on gov.uk. And then you should not travel to amber list countries for leisure. How about if you don't enjoy it? Does that count as leisure? How about if you travel and you're miserable? Uh, we, we don't need the horrid details of your family holidays, Alexis. <laughs> but it is a problem for people, though, Will, isn't it? It is not good enough. I have huge sympathy for the government and the difficulty of maintaining clear communications in a rapidly changing pandemic situation. But a week of government ministers contradicting each other, contradicting the published guidance and failing to give clear messages is actually a dangerous thing. If a government doesn't think we should be travelling to amber list countries, it should come out and tell us. Equally, if it is safe, undue uncertainty and hesitation can needlessly prolong the economic impacts of a pandemic, particularly for the hospitality and tourism industries. 
And of course, we know this is not the first time the government has issued confusing and potentially contradictory information to the UK public. And when it has done that in the past, that has been harmful. Yeah, it's it's a very odd message is, is don't go, but you can go. But you have been having a look at government communications, and they've been found to be wanting, to say the least. At their best, they've been clear, they've been compelling, and they've helped save lives. When the government finally settled last year on its message of stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives, that message itself probably did save lives. It was clear and everyone knew what to do after a period of confusion. But look at the kind of confusion the government has caused in the last year. Uh, In July last year, they issued contradictory advice on travel quarantine, for example. It was said by the Foreign Office, as well as a government minister, that you no longer have to quarantine if you returned from an exempt country before July the 10th. But actually, that contradicted the official guidance from the Department of Health. They claimed that lockdown started on different dates, essentially because they were in a political argument about whether or not they had started lockdown early enough. They falsely said that employees who have to quarantine cannot be penalised by employers. And when the government, in good faith, gave guidance saying it was very unlikely that people in care homes would be infected with COVID, which turned out to be wrong, the Prime Minister said in the House of Commons that the guidance never said that in the first place, and that was not true. Now, that kind of confusion, as well as causing people to make decisions that can be dangerous and harmful for their own health and the people they care about, also damages trust in government. And the government is really asking us to trust them now. What it's saying is a large proportion of a country and most of the people who are most at risk of serious illness or death from this pandemic have been vaccinated. And so we are well on our way to a safer situation, but we still need to be locked down and you still can't live your normal life and you still can't get your businesses up and running and go about your lives as you want to. And you need to trust us that that's not allowed and that's not safe at the moment. They're asking for a lot of trust. And when they don't live up to it by being confusing or by getting things wrong and not correcting them, that's damaging and that's dangerous. Now, let's move on to another subject where perhaps government communications could have been better. And this is concerning the Indian variant. Matt Hancock reassured the public on Sunday that early signs are that vaccines are effective against it. We know that the jab protects you and we know with a high degree of confidence that the jab will have an effect against this new variant too. But he also warned that this variant can spread even faster than the Kent variant. Because of the speed of transmission of this one, it can, it can, you know, it can really spread like wildfire amongst the unvaccinated groups. Now, for many, this hasn't stacked up with the government's decision to delay placing India on the red list. Well, have you been able to ascertain why, for example, Pakistan and Bangladesh were placed on the red list and India wasn't at the time? We are doing some fact-checking at the moment of some of the claims the government has made about this, and we will be able to bring you more details about some of the logic the government has given. But it's just not clear what the government can say to justify the choices it's made, or whether those choices are clearly based on data used objectively. There are many reasons why governments make the decisions they do, but at the moment we haven't had a clear enough explanation from the government of either what it thinks is going to happen next or why it made the choices it did about travel between India and the UK. What do we know about this particular variant? 
Not enough. And that's why there's uncertainty about how to respond to it. There's obviously been a lot of fear that this somehow might be especially dangerous. And we've been investigating that. One of the terms that people may have heard is double mutant. Um, And that is definitely an unhelpful description. Well, it sounds like a superhero or something, something out of uh, out of the Marvel universe. But I I don't think it is. It does sound like that. And really, all it all it is, is about sequencing the various strains and talking about the genetic variations of them. And we spoke to experts who told us that although this variant has a couple of potentially concerning mutations, this is the expert's opinion, quote, they are probably not as serious as some of the mutations present in the variants first seen in Kent, South Africa, and Brazil. So I want to stress that it's uncertain. It's an emerging situation. That's not the last word on the subject. But given all of the concern that's been going on, it's worth knowing about that expert view and the full fact checks on our website. Fantastic stuff. Um, Now, let's move on to our Twitter hall of shame. This week, we are putting... Alistair Campbell, former communications director for Tony Blair when he was in office. This week, Alistair Campbell is in the Twitter Hall of Shame for this pretty explosive claim he made on May 17th. This is the tweet, Will. He said, on Johnson variant, by the way, I am informed that an investigation of the fruit picking industry will reveal that Brexit, having lost the usual pickers from Eastern Europe, many have been flown in from India post-variant discovery to fill the gap. I don't have time to probe today. Hope others will. Now, this has got over 6,500 likes, over 2,000 retweets. Do we know where Alistair Campbell's getting his figures from? We've asked him. He hasn't responded to our request. This is a sort of mixed review. On the one hand, he's been quite clear that he doesn't know whether this is reliable information or not. So thank you. At least you've been clear about that. On the other hand, saying I'm informed and giving no indication of whether that source of information is reliable or how it might be checked is actually no use for people. The argument is that due to Brexit and the limits on movement from Eastern Europe, workers from India have been flown into the UK after the government identified that there was a risk posed to the public by the Indian variant. But that claim is backed up by nothing more than I'm informed. It would be so easy online for something like this to become the start of a very widespread, oh, this conspiracy is going on, this this misbehaviour has happened, um, based on something as flimsy as that floating of a possibility. I think people who have a platform that large, he has 700,000 Twitter followers, it's more than the daily circulation of some newspapers, perhaps need to think a bit carefully about dropping completely unverified claims into public debate like that. I mean, we're recording this on the 20th of May. This tweet is now three days old and you have yet to hear from uh, Mr. Campbell. By the way, there's any number of journalists in this country who could investigate that story. And Alistair Campbell has quite a lot of their phone numbers. If he wanted to get this properly checked out, he had options other than dropping it on Twitter. He he certainly does. Uh, Now, let's move on to, well, let's move on to those journalists because this is our media watch. And this week, well, we've got talk radio under the microscope for their interview with Rod Humphreys. Now, Rod Humphreys, uh, for those that uh, have uh, forgotten, how can you forget, was the Bath landlord who, well, he had a shouting match with Keir Starmer. Get out of my pub! Go on. Get out of my pub! 
Well, to be fair, Keir Starmer wasn't shouting. He was shouting at Keir Starmer, trying to get him out of his pub last month. He was interviewed on Talk Radio's Drive Time programme about the likelihood of further lockdowns. And this is what he had to say. Rod, what's going to happen? Do you think we'll get back to normal this winter? I think we'll see a a lifting of restrictions, but I think it's temporary. I believe in my water that they will lock us down this winter. You know, they will start scaring us all again. So, Will, what do you make of what you've just heard? Well, isn't it striking? I I feel like there's going to be one political personality per town in the country at some point. We started off with Brenda from Bristol. You're joking. Not another one? Now we've got Rod from Bath, the pub landlord, apparently now an expert in the future of a coronavirus pandemic, likelihood of vaccine passports and further lockdowns. With respect, I'm not sure that Mr Humphreys is qualified to provide listeners with good information or insights onto whether there will be future coronavirus restrictions or passports. And his suspicions are a legitimate political point of view. But to put him on as though he has expertise in the matter is really stretching him. One of the things Ofcom says in its rules about impartiality and accuracy is that broadcasters should not give undue prominence to the views and opinions of particular persons or bodies on matters of political or industrial controversy and matters relating to current public policy. I think we really need to be careful in this day and age where anyone can get a platform to think about what serious opposition and serious scrutiny looks like. And Yes, absolutely. We should have the widest possible range of people challenging things, bringing up robust debate. But we also need to be clear about who people are, where they're coming from and what expertise they have when they talk. Some broadcast media, not just talk radio, but many others, uh, phone in shows rely on the opinions of the great British public, if you will. So what are we saying? Are we saying that that opinion needs to be put into context by the host or needs to be balanced out by other experts who do know what they're saying? I mean, you could argue that some government ministers don't have enough experience to comment on epidemiology, for example. So where do we draw that line? If you ask a scientist what's going to happen, are we going to get back to normal this winter? I expect they would draw on years of scientific training, medical research to have an opinion about that. If you ask a politician, they can draw on their political stances that they are well known for. In this case, they are somebody whose best source of information was, I believe it in my waters. And sure, it's fun, um, but we just need to be careful about reaching for proper expertise on topics that really matter. Okay, carrying on our media watch, uh, we've got a bunch of papers here. The Mail on Sunday, the Sunday Mirror, the Sunday People. They reported on a study about teeth whitening, a subject that um, I don't think either of us know that much about, Will. But uh, thankfully, somebody fact-checked this for us. Well, I'm just glad this is only a podcast and not a video recording. (laughs) (laughs) There's an old word, journalism, which describes taking a press release and whacking it in a newspaper without much in the way of scrutiny. And it seems to be what's going on here. All of these newspapers made a crucial error in their reporting. The figures claiming that Londoners are the most likely people in the country to search for teeth whitening treatments are not adjusted for population. And London, by far the biggest city in the country, uh, has the most search inquiries about teeth whitening, according to this data. But that doesn't tell you anything in itself about whether Londoners are more likely to search for that dental treatment. 
All of these articles cited Express Dentist as the source of this claim. I can't believe we're giving them publicity, but there we go. They are an emergency dentist provider in the US, so we're probably not doing them much of a favour. They haven't responded to our inquiries. Thankfully, the Sunday Mirror and the Sunday People did, and they shared the data they used with us, which confirms that the numbers in the story are based on raw average monthly search results. So, of course, a bigger city is likely to have more searches than a smaller city, all other things being equal. Just by the way, they found that the USA searched for teeth whitening most frequently, while Iceland and Malta searched for them least frequently. Again, pub quiz question, which has the largest population, the USA (laughs) or Iceland and Malta? I believe that both the original dental provider and every single journalist involved in publicizing the story had the opportunity to stop and think, can this really be right? And sadly, no one did. And it made it into the papers Does it matter that much? Probably not. But does it give you an example of the danger of journalism and how easily nonsense in press releases can become part of all of our daily news intake? Yes, it does. I remember, Will, when we first uh, met and you were telling me about Full Fact being set up, that you rang around introducing Full Fact to newspapers, to media outlets. And the phrase of fact-checking, we used to have people that did that. (laughs) I mean, it was... It was funny and heartbreaking to hear that comment years ago, but fact-checking, we used to do that, sums up a lot of what has happened in the news industry. There is less money for news than there used to be. Journalists are being asked to produce more content for a wider range of platforms in less time than they used to have to write a story, and there are less layers of checking in order to save money than there used to be. And so it's inevitable that more mistakes will get through than when there was more money in the news industry and when there was more time for the process of journalism. Nobody expects journalism to be perfect. We're talking usually busy generalists working to tight deadlines on complicated topics. Mistakes will happen. That's why it's so important people correct the record in newspapers and media outlets correct the record when they need to. But having a process of double checking does a lot to protect you. And I think it is something we all need to be very conscious of, that the first draft of history got even more like a first draft as the fact-checking and sub-editing stages of news production got squeezed and squeezed by financial constraints. Well, thank you, as always. Uh, Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Always a pleasure to look through the week's top story with you. Will Moy, uh, CEO of Full Fact. Thank you very much. Now, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and spread the word to your friends to help stop the spread of bad information. Full Fact is independent and impartial, and you can read more about our commitment to neutrality at fullfact.org forward slash about. We'll be back at the same time next Friday morning.